Welcome to episode number 22 on the My Story Podcast. Here on the My Story Podcast, we feature interviews with leaders, influencers, and entrepreneurs who tell their story and the life lessons they've learned along the way. Hi, I'm Conrad Weaver, your host for the show, and I hope you are having a fantastic week and that you're on the way to becoming who you're designed to be. Today on the My Story Podcast, we're going to listen to my interview with Tom Malloy. Tom is a critically acclaimed and award-winning actor. He is one of the first successful actor, writer, producers in Hollywood who has written, produced, and starred or co-starred in nearly all the films that his company, Trick Candle Productions, has made. He is also currently the president and co-founder of Glass House Distribution, a foreign sales and distribution company headquartered in New York City. Tom and I met last November at the American Film Market in Santa Monica, California, and he graciously agreed to record this podcast interview with me shortly after that. Tom talks about his journey from acting to producing movies to what he does primarily today in distributing films around the world. I think you'll enjoy this behind-the-scenes look at how films move from ideas to reality and onto your screen. Hey, if you enjoy the My Story podcast, I want to encourage you to share this episode and others with your friends. And if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be awesome. I would be so grateful. I really appreciate it. And now here is my interview with Tom Malloy. So, Tom Malloy, welcome to the My Story podcast. Thank you for having me. Sure. Tell me a little bit about who you are and what do you do? Well, you know, I started as uh, an actor uh, back in, gosh, 90, I believe, 8, 98 was my first film, a movie called Gravesend that we shot on the streets of Brooklyn. We used to uh, go up to a street corner, you know, in the midst of shooting and there'd be a mm-hmm. gang of thugs and we'd be like, you guys want to shoot a fight scene? They'd be like, yeah, all right. You know, and their big fight would break out. Um, you know, but then once that movie was done, I was like the second or third biggest role. And we got Oliver Stone to put his name on it. And it was in theaters. Wow. And um, so, yeah, we had this Cassavetti style improv- improvised completely all the dialogue. And, uh, you know, I thought it was going to be a household name from that movie. And when that didn't mm-hmm. happen, I learned kind of every other aspect of the film business. And you mm-hmm. know, this is where I'll make the long story short is that, you know, as is this, I kind of was an early trendsetter, and it, this is the hot thing to do now. You know, be mm-hmm. more than one, you know, hyphenate, uh, triple hyphenate, double hyphenate. Um, but I was kind of one of the early actor, writer, producers. Okay. Uh, when no one was doing that. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a writer, I've been in the guild almost 20 years now and, and written 31 screenplays. And I think I've optioned, wow. pulled, or made in a movie something like 25 or 26 of those screenplays. Very um, cool. As a producer, I just produced my 15th movie. Um, as an actor, I've been starring, you know, I've starred in a bunch of films, Love and Dancing, opposite Amy Smart, Betty White, um, mm-hmm. The Alphabet Killer with Eliza Dishku, uh, Carrie Elways, uh, Tim Hutton, and, um, you know, the, the Attic with Elizabeth Moss. And so, yes, yeah, so I've done all that stuff. And now I also own a film sales and distribution company called Glasshouse Distribution. <laughs> I wrote the book Bankroll, which was considered the gold standard book on film financing. So that's that's mm-hmm. me in a nutshell, as, as much as I can pack in in a minute and a half or so. Yeah. So uh, let's back up a little bit. Where did you get your start? Where'd you grow up and how'd you get into the film business? What motivated you to put your hat in the ring and say, Hey, I want to act and I want to do this. 
Well, you know, I grew up in New Jersey, in like the gardeny part of New Jersey and farm country, New Jersey. Is there and, such a thing? Yeah, there is. There really is. It really is called the Garden State. So, you know, people think of Jersey, they think of Jersey Shore, like Newark. Right. And, uh, and there is, you know, this gardeny part. But, you know, I grew up there and, and was always, you know, the class clown. And uh, that's what I, I believe my high school yeah i got voted class clown class singer class actor like that's always me i was always it was destiny right (laughs) exactly exactly and so yeah in fourth grade i was the i was captain hook and peter pan Uh, peter pan was a girl and uh so Mm -hmm. you know i'd always been acting had always been my thing and Mm -hmm. so actually funny enough interesting story in my high school vera farmiga who's a pretty big actress now um up in the air and departed. Um, she was my co-star in most of the plays. She was two years older <laughs> than me. And uh, so she, I, somebody pointed out that the Wikipedia for our high school that has notable alumni has her and I and a couple <laughs> other people on there. But, um, you know, I, so it was always a thing. I always knew that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just knew that I, 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 knew that post, I picked a college that was close to New York city so I can get in for, auditions. I went to Montclair University. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I just knew that that's what I was going to do. I didn't know how I was going to get there, but I wasn't going to stop. And so, I, you know, the only difference between me and I'd say any other, if we're just going to call me an actor, is that I, instead of wanting to be a waiter or bartender, I wanted to, uh, you know, kind of control other aspects of the business so that I was always working inside the business some way, you know, and, right. uh, and that was the difference. And so now it's given me a certain amount of power. I haven't 100% focused just on the acting. Obviously, even right now, producing and film sales are are even more prominent than you know than, than any of the acting stuff. But you know, that's uh, it's always in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. For those people who who say maybe they have a son or a daughter that's considering this, what's the process? What should they do to well, get into acting? There was a great book by a guy named Brian O'Neill called "Acting as a Business." And I know that gave me my start and um, I've recommended it to a lot of people um, as far as them getting their starts. Um, And, you know, the key would be, you know, and and let me back up. I want to say something important there because I used to about maybe going back 15 years, I did motivational speaking for kids. I used to speak Mm. to kids about being positive and it was truly a, you know, positive choices speech because mm-hmm. it wasn't like I was this former burnt out druggie or, you know, <laughs> or, or had all these problems in my. It was like, right. hey, I've lived a great life. You know, you can do the same. And it was so. It was, it was from a positive aspect. Sure. But and inevitably, I'd get somebody asking me, "How do you how do you break in as an actor?" Mm-hmm. And I would say, "Here's what you want to do: um, read this book, Acting as a Business, by Brian O'Neill, mm-hmm. and then reach out to me on my website when you're done, mm-hmm. and uh, probably." in all, I would say I got that question maybe 50 times or so. Um, One person, one person was the only person that read the book and reached out to me afterwards. And uh, he's a working actor, which is hysterical. So it just to me, you know, so there's effort, you know, people want to, here's what I'll say about it is that you have to be able to put the effort in and want nothing else. People will say, like, for example, who makes more money on the high end, a doctor or an actor? Well, there's not even close. An actor mm-hmm. in one day can make what, you know, the biggest doctors in the world make in a year. Right. And it, But if I said, how do you become a doctor? You would say, well, you got to go to college and you got to go to internship. You know, it's going to take about 12 years. 
and people accept that. Yet mm-hmm. I've heard, well, yeah, I gave the acting thing a try for six months. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> try for six months, and you want to be on top of the world and whatever you give it. So to me, it was never a. And I, to anybody out there that wants to be an actor, it was never like a, well, let's see. And then when I'm 30, if I don't get there, I didn't, no, it was, it was mm-hmm. like, this is all I'm doing. Yeah. And, you know, what, whatever it takes, I'll be, you know, 85 years old, they'll be pushing my wheelchair into an audition. I'll be like, this is the year I'm going to make it. You know, so. you really have to be all in, even, you know, for those of like, you know, me, I'm a, what do I call a solopreneur, you know, just do my own thing. And I have to be all in. It's either yep. I do this or I go get a nine to five job, which, yeah, which is hell. Dreadful. I mean, you know, for what, for what reason, uh, right. you know, it's like anybody that wants that quote unquote security, you know, Jim Carrey said it best about his, his dad, when he had this, he took, he was a great comedian, but he took the quote unquote secure job as a plumber to feed the mm-hmm. family and then got fired. And it's like, well, that, if that job will fire you, you know, so if you could fail at something you hate, <laughs> why not fail at something you love? And I thought that was brilliant because right. it's the truth. It's like, so work the nine to five job, what? So that they could, and fire you and not give a shit, you know about doing mm-hmm. it yeah that's ridiculous i, I don't yeah. want to be somebody else controlling me so, right. yeah. so how do you go from producing and writing to starting a company that distributes films there was a guy named brian glass um that was an investor wall street broker dealer and he reached out to me he had read my book and you wouldn't you would be amazed at how many people i've met just that were fans of my book and uh, he came to me and said you know, would you be interested in starting a distribution company? Because he had kind of figured out that that was the least risky side of the business, which it is. Hmm. And so he he and I started it and he was just, you know, financing it and I was running the whole thing. And so I had been to film markets and, you know, AFM and Cannes and all these other places and as a producer. And so mm-hmm. I thought, well, this would be an easy transition. So now it's four years later. And Glasshouse has become this double entendre of, you know, full transparency. You can see everything that's going mm-hmm. on. And now there's seven people in the company total. Wow. And so we do now eight markets a year. Funny enough, I have the market schedule up there on, right in front of you. One, two, three, four, five, six. So yeah, eight, eight markets a year. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, you know, it, it's grown to the point where now, you know, initially when I was producing films, I was selling them to bigger companies. Now mm-hmm. we have are big enough that we can do the foreign sales mm-hmm. on any film. We'd probably mm-hmm. pick a big U.S. because we're not big in the U.S. as much yet. Yet, and um, we pick, um, you know, but we can. I can attach foreign sales to any movie. So it's again, it's an attempt to try to control aspects of the industry that mm-hmm. um, were uncontrollable initially. Mm-hmm. For some of the listeners who are, you know, they're not familiar with, uh, you know, how the movie business works on the back end. Tell us a little bit. Of, you know, how does Okay, some director producer makes his film. How does that work to get it out to the theaters and out to the marketplace? Well, I highly suggest um, to any actor to go to AFM, go to a market, but AFM would be the one that I would pick because it's the easiest and right. can is expensive. But, you know, it, this, by the way, was my 14th year at AFM. It just passed last month. Uh, and by the way, that's just for the listeners. That's where Tom and I met just briefly mm-hmm. at AFM this past year back in uh, Santa Monica. Yeah, yeah, uh, about a month ago actually. Now, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah November tenth. Yeah, it was still going on on the tenth. That was the Monday, or no, yeah. that was Sunday. Um, and you know, the American film market, and that was my 14th year in a row. And the first year I ever went there, I said, "Oh man, I what have I been missing?" You know, it's like you you look around and you go, "Okay, this is the." business side of it you know you right. the film and now what what do you do with that film who do you sell yeah. it to well you sell it to these people and then 
they take it and they sell it internationally and they, they, you know, they're able to get it in theaters. You know, it's like a company like mine could get films in theaters, you know, but there's obviously bigger companies that could push it to more theaters and do bigger mm-hmm. releases and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, the, the first step as an actor, if they really want to, or as a producer, if you really want to see everything is go to a market, you know, and, and, and I preach that all the time. I mean, you, I, I'm sure that um, I've discussed that, you know, the, my bankroll book has now, it doesn't exist anymore. It's out of print. Um, they, I did a first edition, 2008, second edition, 2012. They asked me to do a third edition and I realized the business was changing too much. Mm-hmm. And, the and, book, and it changes it, quickly. I mean, even yeah. from one year to the next, it can change, right? A hundred percent. And a book, especially one that's going to Barnes and Noble and all this stuff, <laughs> takes about a year and a half of the cycle before it's actually in the bookshelf. So I'm like, by the so time- it's already it out of date by the time it goes to print, right? A hundred percent. So that's exactly right. So I just put everything online and now it's at filmmakingstuffhq.com, which is getting a lot of buzz as a, you know, a membership site. But you know, on the filmmakingstuffhq.com, I walk everybody through from idea to concept to, you know, producing to selling, blah, 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 the markets, dealing with all that stuff. And so that's the the mission of that site is to all those question marks that, you know, people go, oh, I don't I have no idea what I'm doing. Well, Filmmaking Stuff HQ answers all those questions. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, for the listeners, if you've listened to the, the podcast, you remember an interview I did with Jason Brubaker. Yes. And yes. Jason and you are friends and have worked together for a while, right? Yes, you know we've been we partnership for a long time. Um, he has the filmmaking stuff blog, and then we created filmmaking stuff HQ for headquarters as the um, the membership site. And you know, it's basically to the point where he's kind of just doing the back end stuff, and all the new products are, are are through me, and I'm kind of the face of the site, and um, which he he loves it that way, and because it, it works a good, great partnership. But anyway, he's yeah a friend for years. So how has the movie business changed from the time you started to now? Well, <laughs> uh, people used to buy DVDs. That was one thing. You know, it, it's like, um, uh, you know, there was a certain amount of physical product that you packed and you shipped. And that accounted for, you know, uh, it accounted for a, a, a certain portion that you could always, you know, rely upon. Mm-hmm. And that does not exist anymore, you know, and, and the, the fact is there's so many platforms out there and there's, you know, some of these platforms don't need the films to make money specifically, you know, like mm-hmm. being like an Amazon, you know, or Netflix, like if Netflix original programming, you know, is going to pay, you know, $80 million to Dave Chappelle for him to do a comedy act. And then it gets buzzworthy and people start signing up as subscribers based on that. What do they care if that directly has, you know, monetized or for example, like Amazon wants to spend 3 million an episode on Bosch. It's like, they don't really necessarily need to make that back on the show itself. They need people to come sign up and become prime members. And then suddenly they're ordering vacuums and, yep, you know, sure. and hard drives and all this stuff on Amazon. And now they've, they've monetized in other ways. So, so much has changed, but you know, the, I would say there's not the money that it used to be, especially for the indies. It's unfortunate, right. you know, it's right. like you, you need that A-list cast all the time now, unfortunately. What kind of films do you guys look for at, at Glass House? There's three main categories and it's basically cast, you know, noticeable, recognizable cast, you know, ABC list. And that's number one. Number two is genre type, you know, martial arts, action, sci-fi, horror, to some extent, the horror is going to be really good. 
Um, and then the third one is family-ish, like family-friendly. That faith-based also falls under that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, stuff that's non-offensive because there's countries like Africa, like Middle East, um, like China that you would sell to. Um, but the second the person's doing a line of cocaine or something or, <laughs> you know, F-bombing left and right, mm-hmm. you know, you can't you sell to those countries. So the ones that are the toughest that we don't look for anymore is the dramas um, with no names or the edgy comedies. But we have a label called Lighthouse Distribution that's going to start dealing with those because we want to make, you know, inclusive to all filmmakers because mm-hmm. there's great movies, you know, mm-hmm. that we've signed that had no cast. They were edgy. They were really great. And I don't want to not sign those movies and not try to monetize them, you know, because I, but the bottom line is it's basically cast, genre, and family. Mm-hmm. That's cool. What's the biggest challenge to running a distribution company like yours? I would say monetizing movies. You know, it's like, there used to be every year it goes down as far as what territories are paying. You know, you used to count on Germany for a couple hundred grand, no matter what, you know, and it's like, now you count on Germany for like 20,000, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like, so each, each year the territories are going down or their mandates are like, we only go for cast movies, you know? And then if you have a movie, that's a great movie with minimal cast, they say, well, we'll do a rev share deal, which is they don't pay you up front. You get a percentage. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. So I, you know, unfortunately that's the key is trying to um, monetize a movie when you know it's a good movie and we're out there pitching the hell out of it. Like we took 214 meetings at AFM, 214 meetings and still trying to close deals, pitching movies left and right. Every meeting we're out there pitching movies to buyers and the, the the challenge is is getting them to say yes and make mm-hmm. an offer in the movie. That's always mm-hmm. the always the challenge. Right. What's the one movie you either wrote or produced that you thought, man, this is going to be a winner, and it wasn't, and why? <laughs> well, that's definitely um, you know, Love and Dancing, and then number two would be Alphabet Killer. But I'd say Love and Dancing was the most. You know, we had kind of identified that a dance movie, um, you know, was kind of a bulletproof genre, and we really wanted to make it that way. And, you know, if certain things had gone right, maybe it would have hit, you know, but it didn't because of the timing, because of a thousand factors. I, I mean, mm-hmm. the key with that movie was it, the budget kept going up, you know, at the end of the day, it was probably spent six million on it. But it's like it just kept going up and up. And what happened was the director was kind of manhandling the producer. I wasn't really I was in the movie, so I wasn't really producing at the time and I wasn't anywhere near as powerful then as I am kind of now or experienced, let's put it that way. And it became, it looked too good for an indie. So mm. it didn't have that indie kind of spit and tape feel. And it became, you know, but it didn't look as good as a studio movie. So it felt, it fit right in this mid that it looked too cheap for a studio movie and mm-hmm. too expensive to be an indie. So most people thought it was a cheap studio movie. Mm. And when we were supposed to release February and Valentine's day, certain financing aspects fell through changed companies and they released opposite star trek the mm-hmm. original star trek the, you know with the chris pine and just got destroyed in theaters mm-hmm. and that was the end of mm-hmm. it so so on the opposite of that what's a movie that you thought oh, this isn't going to go anywhere and it surprised you um i would say that my i did a movie called ashley um actually funny enough i did two films that were lgbt films and and it you know i wasn't necessarily looking to make anything in that in that space um i wasn't you know i'm usually open to any genre but they just happen to coincidentally fall in my lap and um this movie ashley uh 
was about it's an anti-bullying type of movie and we did very well in that movie and we made it mm. that was probably the cheapest film i ever made it was a little under a hundred thousand dollars but we sold it for more than double what we made it for as a buyout and wow. uh, it was in 13 cities and so that was great mm-hmm. the other movies is called fair haven which was a small a, a, a smaller film a little more budget than that uh than ashley and um just a great, you know, perfect example of vanilla film. Ashley was a very tough movie. Fairhaven was a very sweet movie. And uh, and that movie we sold to Showtime right away. So that was that was really, you know, those were both uh, successful films in, in different respects. Mm-hmm. So if a producer, a writer is thinking about, you know, producing, writing a movie, what do you think is kind of trending out there? What's what's the, the stories that are really, you know, selling? Well, the key is any great story, you know, really great screenplay because they're so rare would be a smart move for a filmmaker because what you do with that then is try to get a list cast or B list mm-hmm. cast. You know what I mean? Cause how, then how easy or how hard is that to get a list with, with a great script? I don't think it's hard at all. I think that there, it, there takes effort and it takes work, but with a great script, you know, actors, celebrities um you know <laughs> i'm trying to brag but it's like a lot of my friends you know that are name people at least to some extent every one of them wants to work every mm-hmm. one of them wants oh yeah this script was amazing they're always excited about the next thing and there's so few really great scripts out there that if you're able to get one going people go you know they start coming out of the woodwork oh man did you read this thing you know and it's like once that happens you're in great shape hmm. so um so who's been your biggest influence in, in the work that you do? Ooh, that's a tough one. I mean, you know, there's different influencers on different aspects of me, let's say. You know, mm-hmm. it's like as an actor, I could always say Brando. You know, I have a huge uh, mm-hmm. collage in front of me here of him on canvas um, of the different roles that he played. As a producer, it was Robert Evans, who I got to meet. And, uh, you know, the greatest producer ever just passed away uh, from, you know, Godfather, mm-hmm. one and two, Chinatown, love story, head of Paramount Studios. Um, kid stays in the picture. And as, you know, in life, uh, I would say probably Wayne Dyer, who was, you know, the, his book, Power of Intention, was what I felt started my, you know, kind of climb to success. Mm-hmm. What do you what, what do you consider success? Well, there's, you know, it's very tough because you don't want to, you don't want to say, well, when I get to here, I'll be successful because then that always, you know, it is empty in a, in a certain way. And you always you have know, to move the marker, right? Exactly. Exactly. So I will say that I feel that I'm successful because I, you know, if I, I look back and say I could work full time in the movie business, not do anything else and have, you know, a, a certain amount of money that I'm comfortable, like, and I'm never, you know, I'm not going, Oh, geez, how am I going to pay the bills by the end of this month? I better make a little extra money. And like, so if you have that security, you know, it's like, I, I was, it was my birthday two days ago. Well, happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And, um, I took my kids out of the country, uh, to Toronto and just, you know, top notch stuff. We went to eat at the top of the revolving restaurant, the CN tower and all that stuff. And it was like, Mm -hmm. it was nothing, you know? And it's like that kind of feel, to do that and then also come back and you got movies going, you know, is great. Mm-hmm. That all being said, I'm so grateful for all that stuff. I know that things could disappear. The business could fall through, you know, <laughs> the, the membership site could close down all those things. So mm-hmm. I'm not stupid, you know, with the spending, mm-hmm. but that aspect of it, that comfortableness 
that you're not worried about money. You're working in the movie business. I have five films in development at different stages, trying to get them going. Mm -hmm. I have the, the sales company. There's nothing I do besides movies. Obviously, yes, I could be an A-list actor and I, I know I have the talent to be that and it hurts to not be there, but I, I don't care. You know, that, that doesn't, that doesn't haunt me. I, I go, we're st I'm still in the process, still grinding along, but I love the grind and mm -hmm. it's a successful grind. So kind of on that, on, on that vein, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What motivates you to be excited about work? I would say the, you know, the, my career in general, the, my kids, my career, and I guess my kind of positive energy, you know, is that I'm always trying to be positive and always trying to think of, you know, what's the next thing. The only, I've always said this, the only time I'm stressed is when I'm bored. Hmm. You know, that's the only time I start freaking out. I'm like, ah, I got nothing going on, you know? And it's mm -hmm. like, if I ever get to that stage, I immediately start going, all right, let me, let me try to create something. Let me try to produce something and get something going. So you know, the ups and downs, the negativity, you know, the, the, the losses that, you know, when you're going for something that falls through, it doesn't, it barely affects me anymore. It literally barely affects me anymore. So mm -hmm. I would say gets me out of bed is just the fact that I could work in the movie business. I don't have any schedule, you know, um, uh, I make my own schedule, but I, I love working, you know, it's never worked for me. It's, it's just, you know, there's never a, piece of me that goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you got to get to, you know, through the day, mm -hmm. I go, let's do it. You know, let's see what we got today. And, um, you know, let's see what I can create. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the, you know, looking back at your life, what are some of the big life lessons you've learned over the years? Well, funny enough, one just got packaged into what I last said, but, you know, only realizing it now, which was not getting emotionally attached. You know, it's like, I realized, um, I mean, there was things, that have happened on recent movie sets that would have put me in the hospital 10 years ago, you know, or 15 <laughs> years ago. And they barely bother me anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like literally yesterday I found out this one film that we're developing, we thought was fully financed. It fell through. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it, it barely, <laughs> I mean, like I, it didn't even remotely affect me. And I'm a hundred, I'm being a hundred percent honest. I could, I could care less because I'm not emotionally attached. I wasn't as opposed to a producer, a producing partner that was on the movie with me. She was very emotionally attached, was thinking it was going to go. And when she found out that it wasn't going to go, she was crying and this and that and had mm. to get through it. And and I think she found out on Friday and didn't want to let me know because it was my birthday weekend. And then when she finally did, I was like, OK, you know, and it's like because I didn't jump in the pool to begin with, you know, mm. and it's not like I'm, I don't didn't care about it or didn't want to see it going. I said, you know, there's so many times where things have fallen through that it's like, you know, you just go, OK, you know, I, I'm cautiously optimistic about anything hmm. where I go, great. If it happens, fantastic. But I don't go, oh, this has got to happen or, you know, my life is over because, you know, that's when you're setting yourself up to be hurt. Mm -hmm. So, so big question years from now, when the movie about your life is made, what will the log line be? <laughs> well, that's a good one. Uh, good question. Um, I would say life is not a dress rehearsal. You know, mm. and, uh, that's one of the quotes I live by where you, you know, I know that this is the, this is it. This is the show. You got to bring it. You got to bring your A game. And so my kind of persistence and never giving up it will be always, you know, the thing that I want to be remembered by is that if, if there's any time where something's going on and this is the big project, but then that fails or doesn't become the big, you know, becomes a medium success. Well, then I'm gone, going on to the next one. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going on to the next one. There was a great joke by Brian Regan, a great comic that he was saying that he, when he was a kid, he used to just watch these ants building an anthill 
and they'd be building and building and every once in a while he'd just take his hand and just swipe it across and knock the anthill over and he'd be like rebuild and he said there was never a moment where the ants were like oh come on like they just immediately started rebuilding and i've used that as an analogy for the way i look at career going forward is that when i you know something happens i don't sit there and go oh man this movie fell through i go okay boom i'm over here now and then this gets shot down okay now i'm over here now and this works and then oh it's okay i'm over here and you just keep that ant that marching forward mm-hmm. motion and eventually you just you realize you've built a lot of ant hills that's great stuff do you have some of those things kind of in in your back pocket that you have like kind of waiting in the wings uh, meaning films like those, those projects that if this doesn't work, this next one, you know, I have something else back here that I'm, I'm working on already. Well, hundred percent. Like I said, I have five films in development. Um, you know, it's like two of them are action films. One is a football movie. One is a romantic comedy. Um, the other is a mobster movie. And it's like, I'm involved in different aspects. One, I'm just involved in helping finance it. Um, uh, another one, I'm a producer. The other ones I wrote, the three of the other ones I wrote. So it's like whichever one goes first would be the one that I got to focus on, put the energy into. So, you know, there's always something that's that's going on. Mm-hmm. If you could only do one thing for the rest of your life of all this, all these things that you do, what would that be? I would say it's most likely um, comedy, you know, and performing, acting, because mm-hmm. when you know, and I used, I still do live improv shows every once in a while um, with a comedy partner of mine when I'm on camera and I'm working it and things are awesome. Like I just did this movie, Trauma Therapy, came out this year and I played my first bad guy role. I kind of played like an evil Tony Robbins. And, you know, when I was on set and bringing my A game and, the, you know, when the crew was coming up after and going, dude, that was awesome. <laughs> like that is the best feeling. Like I like that more than being, you know, I don't need the... Um, the guy on the stage when I'm introducing the movie as a producer, that's a good feeling too, mm-hmm. but it, you know, it's not as good as, as rock and a performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's the next big thing for you? Well, you know, if I, if I look at what did I want to conquer, I've never directed and mm-hmm. there's, it's starting to become an itch mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know how I'm going to scratch it mm-hmm. specifically, but you know, there's a piece of me that wants to do that now. You know, and and I so I have to start wrapping my head around what I want to do specifically for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, once I can do that, you know, it's you know, I have one of these films I'm developing as a dance film slash romantic comedy. So that's pretty much right up my alley. I used sure. to teach ballroom dancing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so those those kind of things are right up my alley. But I don't know. You know, I, I mm-hmm. don't know if I can get it financed as me as the director. Right. Um, you know, and so I'm my producer, my pragmatic hat has taken over in a way. <laughs> and so, you know, I just got to see when the timing is right, it'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So how can people get in touch with you or your organization? Great. Well, you can go on filmmakingstuffhq.com and um, and reach out there um, or tommaloy.com, T-O-M-M-A-L-L-O-Y.com. I, I'll be honest that I don't update that as much as I should be updating it, but maybe I'll do it, you know, when things die down around the holidays, maybe I'll update that. But filmmaking stuff HQ is always current. There's always stuff because I'm not the one doing it because Jason, I'm I'm just making the content. Jason does all the updates and everything, and he's he's definitely on point. So anyway, that all being said, um, you know, that that too, you can on Instagram, Tom Malloy, and, uh, and there you go. I saw on, on Instagram that you're into wrestling or some kind of martial arts. Oh, jujitsu. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Long time. Um, you know, and, uh, well, besides the fact that I'll say I, I was, yeah, no, I, 
been into Gracie Jiu Jitsu and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and now it's 10th Planet, um, Eddie Bravo system. And, and I've done that, you know, a long time on and off 25 years. Um, mm. and, and now it's like a four day a week thing. Um, I will say that, you know, not speaking specifically, but bringing it back to movies and things is that anything like that, that's a good escape that you can get your head out of everything mm -hmm. for a period of during the day is fantastic. Whether that's going to the gym, whether that's playing chess, whether that's ballroom dancing, whatever you do, um, you know, it's just something where you can go, um, all right, I'm not thinking of, you know, when a guy, especially jujitsu, when a guy's trying to rip my head off, I'm not going, oh, I got to send that email back to that other right. guy. You know what I mean? I'm not thinking that. I'm just going, okay, stop him from ripping my head off. Yeah, you, you know, know that is so important just to turn it off. Yep. And to, I, I know when I first got, when I went full time in my business, I, I met with a guy that um, was very successful in business. I just kind of wanted to learn from him. And that's what he said. He said, you have to learn to turn it off. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. do something well, different. I think that's so important it, for just quality of life. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or else you're, you know, you're going at a hundred miles an hour in the car, or, you know, or riding a horse galloping the whole time. The horse is going to die. Yep, <laughs> you know right. I mean? Like exactly. you've got to have those periods where you calm it down. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Tom, I really appreciate you joining us today on the My Story podcast. Uh, it's great to talk to you and learn more about the back end of the movie business and learn sure. more about you and what you do. And I appreciate your time and willingness to, uh, to talk to us. Fantastic. Happy to be here. Happy to do the podcast. Thanks, Tom, for taking time to meet with me and to talk with me. I hope you get a chance to direct that movie sometime soon. Next week on the My Story podcast, we will hear my interview with Shinjini Das, otherwise known as the Go-Getter Girl. Shinjini is the CEO and founder of the Das Media Group, which is an empowering media production company. She is a TV personality, a motivational speaker, and is a digital entrepreneurship expert with the U.S. Department of State. She is also building a digital media platform to empower her go-getters, as she calls them. Shinjini was invited by NBC and ABC News and the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center to share seed stage venture growth strategies. She is an amazing young lady, and I know you'll enjoy her story. Hey, if you enjoy these podcasts and think that more people should listen, I couldn't agree with you more. So why don't you give me a review on Apple Podcast? That would be amazing. Then share this episode with a friend and you can share it through a text message or email or even through a Facebook post. Be sure to follow me as well on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook so that you can keep up with every episode that drops. The music on today's show is from my friend Drew Davidson. You can get all of his music on iTunes or Spotify or at drewdavidson.com. And last, as always, be sure to subscribe to the show so you won't miss an episode. And if you have an idea for an interview you'd like to hear, send me a message and I'll see what I can do. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week on the My Story Podcast. Podcast.